Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, February 7th, 2022. Some intraday comments here from Blues Views. Just going through some of the research and journalism out there today, starting with John Authors, one of my favorites. He, he publishes a daily column for Bloomberg. Uh, he has some really interesting charts in today's article. Uh, the first one uh, is a chart that you've probably already seen. It's being passed around pretty widely. It's the collapse in negative yielding debt. Uh, so there has been quite a rates shock across the globe over the last week. Uh, the bulk of it took place in Europe. Christine Lagarde, the head of the ECB, went kind of uber hawk on everyone out of the blue last week, uh, sent German bond yields rising. Uh, the moves, though, uh, were most pronounced in the, the pigs, so-called pigs, uh, Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece and Spain. Uh, I actually didn't really even look at the Irish one, but uh, Greece, Spain, Italy, two-year yields really ripped higher. Uh, obviously, we've had some signs of emerging credit, and by emerging, I mean burgeoning, not emerging market stress, but burgeoning credit market stress here in the U.S. HYG has been under pressure. LQD has been under pressure. We're watching that very closely. Um, <clears throat> you know, Mike Hartman of the V of A has been talking about last year being an inflation shock and this year being the rates shock. So rates are finally beginning to really react to inflation that just isn't coming down. Um, wage inflation is red hot. Uh, owner's equivalent rent shelter inflation really just starting to kick in. Commodity prices just continue to move higher and higher. So inflation, yes, it's going to decelerate uh, starting in Q2 most likely. That's just the math. The comps get really hard in Q2, the year of year comps. They're going to start, it's going to start coming down, but I don't think we are there yet. And I think we probably are in a situation where we're going to have stickier inflation than many realize, uh, higher for longer. At some point, that will probably lead to a deflationary bust of some kind, but we'll get to that <laughs> when that starts to happen. Uh, let's see. Another interesting chart that authors had today. Uh, he's talking about the fact that you know many people care about short-term bond yields because of their effect on equity prices, and they do have uh, a, a uh, effect in the near term on them. Uh, throughout history, a rise in two-year yields uh, as central banks are tightening is, is highly correlated with tops in equity markets. So again, to repeat that, a two-year uh, move higher in the two-year yield while a central bank is beginning a tightening cycle does tend to indicate market tops often for stocks. Um, it's interesting to note what's going on there in terms of what, what Fed funds futures and, and bond yields show in terms of what the market's expectations are for the terminal Fed funds rate. Um, so far, the market's still pricing in a sub 2% terminal Fed funds rate. That I think largely uh, is largely a function of the fact that A, the market doesn't think that the Fed has the guts to really follow through and fight inflation, uh, maybe beyond a few hikes. But I think it also speaks to the fact that, yeah, the, the market is not really convinced that the Fed is going to be able to raise the Fed funds rate back to neutral and neutral just for intents and all intents and purposes. You got 10 year break evens at 2.4 percent, although they are they are continuing to fall off. But 2 percent is kind of generally assumed to be the, the neutral Fed funds rate market, not convinced that the Fed's going to get there. Uh, he also has a great chart showing that American households are really all in for stocks. Uh, there is there's no more money coming to market from American households, no more discretionary investment cash. Everyone's all in. Uh, obviously, that is not bullish. Um, you may have heard the, the, the old market maxim that bear markets don't require 
heavy selling to start necessarily. They just require a reduction in buying. So we are losing marginal buyers of equities here. And that is something that's going to create a tailwind for stocks, uh, I think, throughout the year. Um, it's, he also notes that commodities, traditionally stocks do not do well during commodity up cycles. Uh, the reason for that should be obvious. When you have commodity prices rising, input costs rise, inflation rises, and central banks are forced to tighten. So if you believe, as I do, that we are really in the first or second inning here of a major commodity bull market, it's a little hard to be super bullish on stocks. It certainly suggests at the very least that returns will probably be muted. Uh, annual returns will be muted while this commodity super cycle plays out. Moving on to the B of A piece from today, really good piece. Uh, they are reiterating their call for seven rate hikes this year. We are the only other ones that I know of uh, that are calling for seven rate hikes. Now, we have placed caveats on our call for seven rate hikes, very, very um, easily triggered red lines. So our, just to refresh what those are, our call is that the Fed will hike a total of 175 basis points this year. Uh, we think they'll. We think that there's a good chance they'll go 50 in March, but forget about that for now. Let's just talk about total hiking this year. So 175 basis points, unless one of three things happens. Number one, HYG falls below 80. Number two, LQD falls below 112. Number three, the S&P falls below 3,500. I really don't think that the Fed put, I think that the Fed put is the least important of those three. I think that the Fed has resigned themselves to seeing a significant correction in the stock market. The Democrats are up there, but about inflation, but also about wealth inequality. The wealth inequality optics from the last 22 months are absolutely horrific. You know, I'm not sure if Americans, you know, the bottom 50% of earners will ever actually rise up. They seem to be, you know, the whole bread and circuses thing from the Roman Empire, right? They're, they're distracted. They've got their Netflix. They've got their iPhones, et cetera. I don't know if they're ever going to rise up, but I think this is the closest they've been to rising up in a while. People are ticked off. They've watched the top 1% of earners double their net worth over the last 22 months. And they're, you know, scrambling, searching through their couch cushions for gas money. Uh, it's not a good look. The Fed is aware of it. They know they look awful right now. Uh, they have having a Democratic administration in power is an important part of this. Obviously, if Trump were in power, he would be blasting them every single day for even thinking about tightening. He'd be talking about, oh, all my economists say that if inflation is going to go away in six months. Trump is not in power. Biden is in power. And even though the Democrats brand as a, you know, um, you know, a fan of the little guy is kind of a fake brand. Uh, I mean, they get as much money from Wall Street as the Republicans do. Uh, even though it's kind of a fake brand, they have to at least pretend <laughs> to care about what's happening to the average Joe. Uh, so yes, B of A uh, reiterating their call for seven rate hikes. Uh, they note that the Fed is hiking into an overvalued market. The last time this happened was 1999, 2000. Sorry to bring up the dot-com analogy. It's not perfect. There are a lot of differences, but there are a lot of striking similarities as well. Uh, the B of A notes that seven hikes they say seven hikes doesn't get us to a neutral rate. They're basing that on the fact that 10-year break-evens are higher than 2%. So technically, they're correct if you use, if you believe, and, and many do, that the 10-year break-even is kind of like the long-term, that's where the 10-year should be over time. It should gravitate towards that 10-year inflation break-even. But as I said, I think most people out there are thinking of 2% as kind of the neutral rate right now. So seven, seven hikes does get us to 2%. 
Uh, they note the QT has explained 50% of return variance since the financial crisis. So basically what they're saying there is that QT pretty much always triggers a significant correction in stocks. It's a very high correlation, just as it's a very good bet to buy dips when the Fed is easy. It's a pretty good bet to sell rallies when the Fed is getting tighter. Uh, they predict low single-digit returns the next two years. So here's here's one of the things about Bank of America. Uh, and this is not my partner. This is, um, I forget her name. She does a great job. But um, she's got a 4,600 target on, on the S&P for the end of the year. And she's out there making very, very bearish comments. I understand that there's a political aspect to this. They don't want to upset their private wealth clients. And that does happen. I mean, all these major firms are always slow to turn when the market situation, the market outlook turns bearish. And they're always tempering their comments when they do turn bearish. They don't want to upset their big clients. So the fact that she's got a 4,600 price target on the S&P for the end of the year, based on the other things that she's saying in this note, it's kind of laughable. Now, that being said, Let's just say for the sake of argument that the market does continue to pull back hard. Maybe we get a 25%, 30% correction. The Fed is, you know, the Fed is much less concerned about stocks than they were last year, the year before. They have bigger fish to fry right now. They have to reestablish some kind of credential as an inflation fighter. Lagarde, uh, the ECB, the BOE, all these banks outside the U.S. are talking, talking hawkish. They're making the Fed look weak, and the Fed really cannot let that stand. Now, that being said, I think we're all kind of aware that if the Fed does start to hike aggressively um, and then QT starts to kick in, something is probably going to break. The global economy, with all the debt that we have, like $300 trillion or something in global debt, it's very, very fragile. Okay, Now, the banks are very well capitalized this time around, and that's a major, major plus, okay? This time, the bubble is at the sovereign level, not at the bank level, and that is a major difference to keep in mind. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, the Fed has to get in there and fight inflation, or at least to be perceived to be serious about fighting, fighting inflation. But if something does start to break, if one of my red lines is hit, I think you're going to see them go back to data dependent awfully, awfully quickly. They're going to back off. And the minute that the market picks up on them backing off, stocks are going to rocket higher. So 4,600 is doable if the Fed breaks something as it tightens. I don't think it's doable at all if the Fed doesn't, if credit markets manage to hold up reasonably well, I think we're just going to grind lower for a while. So for Bank of America to be calling for seven hikes this year, and then putting a 4,600 $4, target on the S&P makes no sense at all to me. Pure politics, pure BS. Anyway, moving on. That, that doesn't diminish my respect for their work, but it does annoy me. Um, they have S&P earnings growth and wage growth. Uh, they're pointing out that it's inversely related. Wage growth is red hot. Earnings growth doesn't tend to respond very well to that for obvious reasons. You look at S&P margins. They are so elevated and so much of that has been, you know, the big companies refusing to pay their workers. You know, I mean, that wealth, that, that this, this huge expansion in, in wealth creation over the last 13 years since the financial crisis has obviously been distributed very narrowly. Uh, wages have not kept up with even low inflation for a while. I think in real terms over the last 13 or 14 years, real wages are, are actually down relative to where they were in 2008. Now, I don't have that data in front of me. 
I will go and look at it later. So I, I, I'm saying for now that I think it's either down in real terms or it's like flattish. So either way, not a good look. S&P corporate margins, I don't see how they can go higher from here, at least in the near term. By near term, I mean the next year or two. I think they have to come down. I think like everything else, they've overshot. That is a major headwind for earnings growth. Um, they, let's see, what else do they have here? Uh, they're seeing, so just touching again on the earnings growth thing, we had 46% S&P earnings growth in 2021. They're looking for 7% this year. Now, 7% is pretty darn good for the S&P. And some of that is the residual sugar high from mon easy monetary policy and fiscal policy. But obviously, that's a major deceleration. I'm not sure what they're looking for in 2023, but just something to keep in mind. Um, they also had a great section where they're just kind of like what Hedgeye does and like what we do with our Git model, pointing out. These are the sectors and styles and factors you should invest in in various economic environments. They're really bullish on any company that has a strong balance sheet and strong generates strong free cash flow. And obviously, a strong balance sheet is always a good thing. It's never a bad thing. But the focus on strong free cash flow, I think, is correct. I also think it's one of the reasons why Amazon has limited upside here. That free cash flow story started to break in Q4. And as I've said before, institutional PMs value Amazon on a price to free cash flow basis. If that story is now entering a protracted deceleratory mode, Amazon's probably not going to be able to sustain its current valuation. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, just one other note out today. Standard Chartered had a, a quick note on the, um, let's see here. Oh, they were talking about wage growth. So non-seasonally adjusted wages were up the most in the history of the data in that last report. So wage growth, red hot, that is not going away. And remember, wage growth is the stickiest form of inflation out there. Okay. People get raises. They don't get wage. Uh, they don't get compensation cuts usually unless they get demoted. Okay. But all else being equal, wages go up. They never go down. All right. They conclude also that the Fed is pretty much cornered and pretty much screwed. We could not possibly agree more. So just taking a look at what's going on in markets right now. Um, S&P futures pretty much flat on the day. The Nasdaq was up 80 basis points at one point. It is now down 20 basis points. So we are back to seeing this sell the rally mode. There is supply on every attempt higher. Technically, um, I'm just looking at the 50 week moving average, which in my view is more important than the 200 day moving average. That comes in around 14,766. Uh, we are 100 points lower now. So the first attempt at least, actually it's now multiple attempts in the last few sessions that have failed at that level. Um, Amazon was up 3% at one point. It's now up only 1.5%. There are some key technical levels. I think Amazon was testing its 50 day and it looks like it failed there. So the price action continues to be squeamish at best. That being said, I don't wanna overstate uh, the weakness that we're seeing right now in the in the tape really over the last hour it's been a soft last hour the first uh first hour or so was was fine i think we are in an, a holding pattern here we have cpi on thursday uh that is obviously going to be a huge deal uh if the number comes in even a little bit light i think we probably will rip higher a few i would say at least 100 s p points probably a few hundred nasdaq points um tech should definitely outperform in that scenario but there's no reason to believe that the CPI data is going to come in soft. There's nothing I can think of out there that would form the foundation of, a, of an argument that CPI should be soft this month. Just not seeing it. Um, as I've mentioned before, shelter rent accelerate shelter, shelter rent costs accelerating. 
wage growth accelerating. So in all likelihood, we should see a fairly firm month over month growth in the CPI. Uh, what else? Uh, interestingly enough, we're finally getting a little bit of steepening in the yield curve. Uh, we did put that steepening trade on this morning again. Uh, it's We're making a little bit of money on it. Um, the, the whole yield curve situation is very, very interesting because everyone kind of knows that as the Fed and other central banks move into tightening mode in a still sort of fragile economy, global economy with a ton of debt, the chances of a global recession are, are rising by the day. So it makes sense for people to be thinking about yield curve inversion. However, like the market, market tends to overshoot in both directions. And I think we've had too much flattening too quickly. The fact of the matter is, is that if inflation is going to remain higher for longer, we should see more upside to the 10-year and 30-year yield from here. The two-year has already had a massive move. We had, well, the two-year right now is at 130. It was at 115 last week, uh, I think on, on Thursday. A 15 basis point move in the two-year is massive, okay? I mean, that's like, I don't know the exact calculation, but it's like, you know, 40 or 50 basis points in the 10-year. All right. So I think there's room for the steepening trade to work. I think people are the, the whole the yield curve is going to invert story. Uh, I think maybe it's jumped the shark a little bit short term. So we're just playing for a bounce there. We'll keep watching it. Oil down 70 basis points today. Nothing to speak of there. Every time oil tries to sell off, it gets bought. Uh, other commodities look like they're trading flat uh, to slightly up. Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, two of the bigger stories today. Bitcoin broke out of a major uh, downtrend, broke above a major downtrend line. It's trading very well. I'm very fascinated by the strength in crypto. I think what I think what it's saying, uh, because remember, any fiat currency in large part uh, is based on faith in the central bank that backs it. I think faith in the Fed, uh, confidence in the Fed is at an I don't know if it's at an all time low because I've only been alive for 44 years and they've been around for uh, 109. <laughs> but the Fed, the confidence in the Fed is not high right now. Confidence in the ECB is not not high right now. I don't think, even though the, we had this big move in yields last week, I don't think too many people actually believe Christine Lagarde when she talks real hawkish. They just don't have that kind of flexibility over there. Um, so, yeah, we're going to continue to stay our course. I feel good about how we're positioned. Um, we will update you again tomorrow.